0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. All right, thanks Alex. Maybe you can just take these uh, announcement page with you, thank you. Uh, Welcome from my side as well everyone, Uh, nice to have you here and uh, to be with you even though we can't join face to face, that we can still um, connect with one another and Know that god 's Holy Spirit is with us wherever we are, so with that confidence we 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 yeah that 's the confidence with which I share the word, certainly, knowing that that the Holy Spirit is working in your hearts wherever you are uh, watching and that is touching your hearts and ministering to you so um last week, Neil started sharing from second Corinthians the end of chapter two, uh, and we were speaking about. He was speaking about just unmasking the conflict between Paul and the so-called super apostles that were leading the Corinthian church astray. And I just want to sort of read a, a few verses um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because that sort of summarizes some of the issues and the, of, of this conflict and I was thinking about it, and uh, last week, actually, after Louis' sermon, or before, um, Neil's sermon, Louis May actually mentioned something that was very interesting. He was um, speaking about cancel culture, and I realized that what Paul was experiencing in the Corinthian community and from these super apostles was, was the first century equivalent of cancel culture. Now, um, cancel culture, like, like you know, I'm just going to read you a definition I got off the internet. It says cancel culture is a popular practice of withdrawing support for canceling public figures and companies after, doing, after those public figures or companies have done something offensive or something that is deemed offensive. And obviously, people usually cancel those who have values that are radically different from their own, and they commend those who have values that are similar to their own. And because Paul's values were so radically different, and and that's what I want to focus on this week. Paul's values were so radically different from the values of the super apostles. Uh, They canceled him. They didn't commend him. Uh, They canceled him. Uh, But who we commend and who we cancel exposes or unmasks our values. And that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning, so let me read from Second Corinthians um, eleven. I'm going to read from verse three, and this is just to give you a little bit of context. This is not the main scripture we're going to be focusing on. So, Second Corinthians second uh, Corinthians eleven, from verse three says, "But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray." from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And then it goes on in uh, verse 5. I, Paul speaking, of course. I do not think I am... In the least inferior to those super apostles, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? And then verse 13 says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants or ministers also masquerade as servants or ministers of righteousness. And we see the difficulty here is that when you masquerade as something, you pretend to be something. And, and there, are, there are certain uh, areas in which Paul and these super apostles um, sort of agree and, and are similar. And, and one of the, the things is that, that both of them ministered from the Word of God, the Old Testament specifically. Um, both, both of them were, were, were Jews. Paul and his, uh, both these groups, uh, Paul and his associates, and, and the super apostles—they were, they were, they were Jews. Um, Paul even says so in the letter. Um, both of them. Are apostles of, of sorts, in other words, representatives, ambassadors. And both of them claim to minister Jesus and the gospel. But Paul says they ministering a different gospel, they ministering a different Jesus. And there's a different spirit that, that you receive uh, through them. So <laughs> You know what they what they did was they did it. Um, they ministered the word of God, but they did it. They peddled the word of God for profit. Where Paul said, "No, I do it sincerely, not for my own gain, but but genuinely for what it what it can do for you." They were very smooth, like Neil was sharing last week. Um, they were sophists, and 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 that whole idea of of being a good orator, uh, really good at uh, at rhetorical expression, and and really smooth, really. Uh, speaking beautifully and well, um, they were really into that. And, and Paul, Paul even says, here, okay, I'm, I might be untrained as a speaker. I'm not a sophist. Uh, to me, it's not primarily about how well I speak. It's about the content of, of my testimony. Um, so there, 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 were, there were quite a few um, differences, and, and the, the main difference is, is this, and, and this is what I want us to focus on this morning. These super apostles, they focused on the outside. They focused on impressing people because their whole, the their highest value was man-centered, focused on people, impressing people, and being impressive people. In other words, it was the gospel of keeping up appearances. Where Paul's whole focus was God-centered, it was focused on pleasing God, and therefore it was not the gospel of keeping up appearances, but the gospel of Truly changed hearts that he preached. And that's what we're going to see. Um, and, 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 and whether you value your highest value is God or your highest value is people, whether your highest value is pleasing God or pleasing people, impressing God or impressing people, comes out in who you commend and where your confidence lies, uh, etc. And that's what we're going to see um, this morning. Okay, so let's read the, the text. Um, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 uh, to 3 verse 6. It says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma that brings death. To the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Then chapter 3 verse 1 says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent of ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So, like, I'm sa- like I said, what we truly value comes out in what we commend or cancel. And I just want to go through four, four things Uh, Where does your commendation come from? Where does your confidence come from? Where does your competence come from? And what covenant are you ministering? Are our values God-centered or man-centered? And what we value is unmasked by what we commend, where our confidence lies, etc. Okay, so... our deepest values will determine what we're impressed by. Our deepest values, our highest values will determine what we seek out, what we commend, what we recommend to others. And what, what Paul was saying here is that there's these super apostles. They look very sleepy. They they keep up appearances. They look great. They sound great. They, they're well-trained. They're impressive. And, in modern days, there are, there are many super apostles as well. And they are impressive. And they commend themselves. And other people commend them because they look so impressive. But because let's, let's face it. As human beings, what looks impressive to us, we, we, we tend to be impressed by. And Paul was, was poor, where the super apostles were rich. And they were rich because they were peddling the word of God. They were using God's word to make money. And they were making a lot of money. And there are lots of people who are doing that today as well. Especially, I think, the media age has exacerbated that so that there are lots of people who are making even more money than in Paul's time from the gospel. And rich just looks more impressive than poor. Uh, The the super apostles were keeping up appearances; They looked like they were just so successful, so sleek, and nothing was ever going wrong in their lives. Where Paul was saying, listen, I get shipwrecked. I get beaten, I get stoned, uh, I get rejected, um, I get misunderstood. You know, everything just seemed to be going wrong in Paul's life. And these super apostles just looked more impressive than Paul, more successful. And the temptation is there to say, okay, they look successful, so they must be successful. God's blessing must rest on them, and you know, God's resting blessing obviously doesn't rest on Paul. But Paul says, no, God works differently. God, the gospel, the true gospel, is not the gospel of keeping up appearances, but the gospel of changed hearts. It's not the gospel of the victory of man. It's the gospel of the victory of God. And often the victory of God looks like the defeat of man. That's why he says in in, in verse 14 and so on of chapter 2, that God leads us. Thanks be to God because he leads us As captives, in other words, those who have been defeated in Christ's triumphal procession. God's victory always looks like man's defeat. But the the interesting, the irony is of that verse is Paul says, We are led as captives. We We are led as those defeated by Christ, conquered by Christ. But thanks be to God for that. In other words, that is good news. The good news is that Jesus Defeated us as that song that we sometimes sing, uh, Jesus, you have won me. It's a good thing to be conquered by King Jesus um, because he is a good king. So, um, what, and I'm asking this to all of us, what does what you commend, what you're impressed by, what you recommend to others, what does that reveal about your values? How does that unmask your values? What are your deepest values? Is your deepest value the the victory of man and keeping up appearances, looking good? Or is your deepest value the victory of God? And not surface level, keeping up appearances, but deep internal heart change. What is your deepest value? I just want you to really consider that for for a moment because whatever your deepest value is will affect everything else, inevitably. And and, it will affect what you focus on, what you do, how you interact with other people. Um, What kind of ministry do you tend to receive and gravitate towards? Is it ministry that looks impressive or ministry that really changes lives? So, I just want to um, actually, it talks there about letters of recommendation. I just want to actually read you a a letter of recommendation. Now, Paul's not saying that letters of recommendation per se are bad. I mean, um, Paul himself you know, wrote some letters of recommendation. For instance, the the letter of Philemon is pretty much a letter of recommendation where he says to Philemon, listen, I recommend Onesimus to you. Please receive him as you would receive me. He often wrote letters of recommendation saying to different churches, please receive Timothy, you know, he's my true son in the faith. Please receive him as you would receive me. Uh, He represents me, etc. So here's an example of a first century letter of recommendation. Uh, Theon, to the most honored uh, Tyrannus, very many greetings. Heraclides, Heraclides, the bearer of this letter, is my brother. Wherefore, I entreat you with all my power to take him under your protection. You will do me the greatest favor if you let him win your approval. Before all else, I pray that you may have health and the best of success. Unharmed. By the evil eye, goodbye. And that's a a, a typical first century letter of recommendation that uh, was written around the time of Jesus, 25 AD. Um, We see in Acts 18, verse 27, it says, When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace believed. So we see here that Apollos also takes a letter of recommendation from the church to uh, Achaia um, and is and received. So, so Paul is not against letters of recommendation per se, but what he's against is self-promotion, people promoting others, recommending other people, but it's not based on the recommendation of God. It's purely the recommendation of man that has nothing to do with the commendation of God. Um, in Second in Corinthians ten, let me just read that to you. Um, let's see where. I, I don't know if I put up the slide, but let me just read it uh, to you, verse eighteen, seventeen and eighteen. It says, "But let him who boasts boast in the Lord." And that's a, a quote from Jeremiah chapter nine. It seems like when Paul was writing this letter of Second Corinthians, he had Jeremiah sort of in the back of his of his mind. And then he goes on in verse 18 and says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So, so it's not like Paul is talking here about the commendation of God apart from the commendation of man. He's not against letters of recommendation. But what he is against is the commendation of man that ignores the, the commendation of God. And ultimately the highest value is who God commends, uh, and w- who God approves. So we have to ask ourselves, do we fall for the sleek super apostles? And then we also got to ask ourselves, because Paul says, you are a letter of recommendation. In other words, your lives commend us. What's written in your lives commend us. And we've got to ask ourselves do the lives of the people around us commend us? In other words, are the lives of the people around you changing in such a way that, and bearing fruit in such a way that it commends you as a minister of God? Now, obviously, that can only happen if you spend time with people. So then, so commendation and then confidence. He talks about this confidence we have in Christ before God. Okay, what was the confidence? The confidence was confidence in the fact that the Corinthians' lives have been changed by their ministry, by Paul and uh, the ministry of Paul and his associates. And he says, "You are a letter from Christ. You're a uh, 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 you are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show yourself to be a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the Living God. And and he uses this metaphor of a of a letter, which which is quite uh, provocative and powerful, I think. And the first thing I want you to notice is he says, um, and it doesn't come cl- through clearly in the English, but but Paul says you plural. You all, like the Americans will say, y'all, are a letter, singular, of Christ. In other words, he's not saying each of you individually is a letter from Christ. He's saying you as a community together, as a church community, together are a letter of Christ. In other words, you can't be a letter from Christ if you just try and be a lone ranger Christian. Um, In fact, you cannot be a lone ranger Christian. Christianity is a team sport, a definition, and, and he's saying, you guys together as a church community, the, the church of the Corinthians, the temple of God in Corinth, you together are a letter of Christ. So all of us as Christians, as part, different parts of the body of Christ, as we live together with one another, we speak together to our community what Christ is written in us uh, uh, together. And I think that's that's important to know and powerful to know that, that we can only communicate what Christ is writing in us and on us if we do it together. And therefore, if you want to speak to your community and, and be known and read by everyone, then you mustn't only have a changed life, but you must be part of a community of changed lives. How committed are you to community, to not only having your life changed in community, but helping others to to have their lives changed and being part of that community that together communicates the message of Christ as a letter written by Christ himself. Um, Then I want you to just think about the reality that we Together are the only letter from God that some people will ever read. We together are the only letter from God that some people will ever read. I, I was um reading a bit on the on the internet um while I was preparing, and and I came across um a letter that that a, a, a gentleman called Henry Stanley wrote. Now, he, he was um, a well known British journalist, and um, he went to Africa to look for the famed uh, British missionary, Dr. David Livingston. Um, and his, his greeting to, to Livingston is, is, is famous, quite, quite well known. Uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume, that was sort of when he finally found him, that was his, his greeting. Um, but few people know the this, this sort of story that, that sort of follows that. And I just want to read it to you. It says, after the two had been together for some time, Stanley saw that Livingston endured um, what Livingston endured and wrote the following. I went to Africa as prejudiced as the biggest atheist in London. But there came for me a long time um, for reflection." I saw the solitary old man there and asked myself, how on earth does he stop here? Is he cracked or what? What is it that inspires him so? For months after we met, I found myself wondering at the old man carrying out all that was said in the Bible. Leave all things and follow me. But little by little, my sympathy Sorry, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused. Seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went about his business, I was converted by him. And we see this, Henry Stanley, this atheistic journalist, very skeptical, you know, coming to meet um, Dr. Livingston and the community that he had, that he had you know, established, You know, the church that he had planted then in, in Africa, and, and being around him in, and seeing how he interacted with his community and his heart just being touched by it. And, and he read, he received a letter, in his, as it were, from Christ through Livingston and his community. And it really touched his heart. And think about this, that we are the only letter that some people here in Joburg will ever read. The only letter from Christ that some people will read. So, um a letter from Christ known and read by people changes those people's hearts, speaks to those people. So, we spoke about commendation, we spoke about confidence. That is the confidence that we have. Not that, not our words, but Christ's words. We are a letter sent from Christ, uh, and that gives us confidence. Um, then he also talks about competence. He says uh, we have this confidence uh, through Christ before God. And then he says, not that we are competent in ourselves uh, to claim anything as of ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers or servants of the new covenant. And and here um, he's answering a question because in the previous chapter he was talking about you know, being the aroma of the knowledge of Christ, you know, among those who are perishing and those uh, who are being saved. And then he, he asks a question, he says, Who is equal to such a task? And, and the English obscures it there because he uses exactly the same word that is translated competent later on. He's, what he's really asking there is, Who is competent for such a task? In other words, to represent Christ is such a, a massive task, also such a massive privilege, but who is able to do it, you know? As weak humans we, we how can how can we do it and 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 here he answers the question he says, our competence is not of ourselves; it comes from god it 's God who makes us competent as ministers of the new covenant um, and here's an interesting picture that he uses. he says he made us competent as ministers, and, and the word there is diaconos from which we get the word deacon of the new covenant uh, bef- before that he says you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the Spirit. The ministry, with ministry, there is the, again the same word, diakonos. And, and, and what he's, the picture he's painting here is, is a picture that Paul himself would have been very familiar with. Because remember, Paul wrote many letters. In fact, Second Corinthians is a letter. It's one of many letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He wrote to the Roman church. He wrote to the Colossian church, to all kinds of churches. He wrote letters. And we say he wrote letters, but what he really did was dictate letters. And what he's saying here is that you're a letter dictated by Christ. And then he says the work of our ministry, what he's really saying there is we are the scribes writing down what Christ is dictating. Uh, um, in, in the letter of Romans, this comes through quite, quite powerfully because Paul is, is speaking to the Roman church in this letter of Romans. And he, at the end, in chapter 16, he says, you know, I greet, you know, all these different people, you know, in Rome. And then in verse 22, there's an interesting verse where Paul stops speaking and someone else starts speaking and, and, and says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then Paul goes on again with the letter. So, so Paul's scribe, is, the big word is amanuensis, the guy who was, was writing down what he was dictating. Uh, sort of jumps in and and greets them. And, And Paul says, when it comes to ministering, new covenant realities, we are like Tertius. Christ is the one dictating the letter. And we, through our ministry, are the ones writing it down. The scribes, the spiritual scribes, writing it down. And that is what makes us competent as new covenant ministers. Not that we are impressive, that we are trained in speech like the super apostles were, that we look good, that we look successful, that we seem to be prospering in everything. But the fact that we are simply instruments in the hand of Christ, writing down, scribes writing down on people's hearts through our ministry, the ministry of the Spirit, what Christ is doing, what Christ is speaking. And I just want to mention a few things that Paul mentions a year that makes us competent as ministers of Christ. He says in in chapter 2, verse 17, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Okay, so he's contrasting himself himself with the super apostles. And then he says, um, let me just see, on the contrary, in contrast, and then he says quite a few things, sort of a dense verse there um, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17. He says, um, it's in Christ that we're ministering. He says that we speak, we speak, what do we speak? We speak the word of God. In other words, if you want to be a new covenant minister, you must speak the word of God. The others also spe- spoke the word of God, but they sp- spoke it for profit. But you must speak the word of God. Then he says, sincerely, we speak the word of God with sincerity. Not for own, our own gain, not for profit, not to look good. Okay. Then he says we, we speak it before God. In other words, and the word he uses there is like we, we, we're we constantly aware of God's presence. We're constantly aware of God looking at us, seeing us. So it's in under God's gaze that we are speaking the word of God. In other words, he, Paul is saying something that he says elsewhere as well. He says... Um, in Second in Timothy, for instance, do your best to show yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, Paul says, when when we minister, we, we minister to, for an audience of one. We minister. we we're the super apostles. Minister to impress people. We minister not with people's eyes or the knowledge of people's eyes on us, but the knowledge of God's eyes on us. And that's why we do it with sincerity, because God doesn't only see how we appear on the outside. He sees our hearts, our sincerity or lack thereof. So, ministering the word of God with sincerity before God, as those sense, sent by God. In other words, we come not with a letter of recommendation from people primarily, but as though we're sent by people primarily. Primarily. That we come sent by God, and and He says um, we minister therefore in the power of the Spirit, because we know that only the Spirit can write on human hearts. We can write maybe with ink on on paper, but only the Spirit can write on human hearts. We in the power of the Spirit, in Christ, and this is what gives. Makes us competent. Now, he's saying here it's not self competence, self confidence; it's confidence that comes from God. Not confidence in what we can do, but confidence in what God can do in you. And I think the the picture that Paul uses of a letter is is so powerful because if you look at the letter, a letter is you know, if you take a pen, you write on a piece of paper, a letter is permanent writing on a piece of paper that is actually very fragile, that you can easily tear, and that can easily break. And, and Paul says we are like that. As letters of Christ, we are fragile, like paper, but the writing on us is powerful and permanent. Uh, on an, in another place, Paul talks about... Um, God's strength, in the same letter in 2 Corinthians, God's strength being made perfect in weakness. It talks about the fact that we are treasures from God in jars of clay, which are fragile and easily broken. And in other words, our confidence lies not in our strength. It lies in God's strength in our weakness. You see, if, if you only rely on your own strength, then, then when, you, when you think you're making it, you're going to be overconfident. You're going to be confident but not humble. And when you feel like you're not making it, you're not going to be confident at all. But the gospel and the strength in weakness, this permanent writing on fragile, terrible paper, this treasures in jars of clay, will make you both confident in the power of God and the permanence of what He does, but also humble because we are quite aware of our own fragility and our own humanness and breakability. Um, So, here's the good news. He says, it's God who makes us competent. There's that old saying, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Or in Paul's words, God doesn't call the competent, He makes competent those he calls. In other words, if you are like Paul and you're saying, I'm like paper, I'm I'm easily easily torn, I'm fragile, Um, I'm like a jar of clay, I'm I'm, I'm weak, but God's strength comes through in that weakness, then the good news for you is that you're in a perfect position to be called by God and, and God calls you in your weakness, in your fragility, in your brokenness, and then he makes you competent to minister the new covenant. And, and that is our competence. It's not our... In fact, I almost want to say our, our human weakness is a required part of our competence to minister the new covenant. Because the, the nature of the new covenant, as we're going to see in a moment, is weakness, strength through weakness, victory through defeat. So... Um, we must, become comfort, we must become comfortable with God's strength shining through our human weakness, because that is how the ministry of the New Covenant worked. Works. So we spoke about commendation. What do we commend? We spoke about confidence. Where does our confidence lie? I spoke about our competence. Where does that come from? Let's talk about covenant, because he says here, um, you know, he makes us. He he made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And many people often misquote that and, and say, yeah, you know, the, 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 the Bible, the letter is, is, is the Bible. And let me just maybe mention this. The English can be confusing here because he says you are a letter from Christ, and then he says the letter kills. But even though the English let, word letter is the same, the Greek word underlying it is different. Uh, when he says you're a letter of Christ, he uses the Greek word epistole. In other words, you're an epistle, you know, a written letter, communication form from Christ. And when he uses, when he says the letter kills, he uses the word grammar, from which we get grammar. The Greek word grammar or grammatos. Uh, in other words, letter as in letter of the alphabet or letters of the alphabet. So many people misquote the scripture and they say, oh, you know, uh, the, 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 the written word, you know, the Bible kills. But the Spirit, you know, you know if you like, ministry is very emotional and, and, and in the Spirit, then that, that gives life. But, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul's doing here is he's contrasting the old covenant, the letter of the law written on tablets of stone, with the new covenant, the Spirit. Um, now, it's the same Word of God. Because he says, we speak by implication the Word of God. Um, that's how we become ministers of the new covenant. It's, it's still based on the word of God. But then the Spirit, because we're ministering in the power of the Spirit and depending on, on the power of the Spirit, not on our own power, the Spirit writes on human hearts, tablets of human hearts, that which was written under the old covenant on tablets of stone. And what, what is Covenant? We're talking about new covenant. What what is what is the word covenant? My my favorite definition of covenant is covenant is extended kinship. In other words, it's when you when you make a marriage covenant with someone, you extend kinship. In other words, family ties to someone who hopefully wasn't your family member before that, Um, and that is what covenant is. You know, a marriage covenant or adoption covenant or or anything like that, and God is basically making us part of His family through this new covenant. and in Jeremiah 31, we, we actually read that. Remember I said Jeremiah was in Paul's back, uh, the background of Paul's mind. And there it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not, uh, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, which is the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt... Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. There we see extended kinship. God says, I I, I made you, I extended family ties to you. I made you my wife, spiritually speaking. Uh, And then he goes on, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be My people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And God says, I'm going to take a sinful people, a a people who don't keep my law. And I'm going to make it so that they can be forgiven and so that they can be mine, so that they can know me, have intimacy with me like a wife has intimacy with her husband. Um, I'm going to make them part of my family. And I'm going to do that through a new covenant by taking that, those laws that were written on the tablets of stone and through my spirit, I'm going to write it on the tablets of their hearts. In other words... The difference between the Old and the New Covenant is once again the difference between the power of man and the power of God. Because where the the Old Covenant was written externally on tablets of stone and you had to work it from the outside in through human effort, the New Covenant is written by the Spirit of God on the inside, on tablets of human heart, here. And with God works it in. It doesn't take human effort to work it in. All that we have to do is work out what God works in us, um, according to Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, where, where Paul says, um, work out your own salvation. Not work for your own salvation, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And that is what it, says, what it means when it says the Spirit writes on our heart through the new covenant. But, but not only is, is the difference between the old and the new covenant primarily in what the Spirit does, You know, working from the inside out rather than us working from the outside in. But it's also the fact that the forgiveness is worked by God himself. In the old covenant, you had a human high priest who sacrificed animal sacrifices so that our sins can be forgiven. But in Jeremiah 34, let me just... um, Read this to you because it, it also explains covenant so nicely. Jeremiah 34, verse 18 says, Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant. No, no that was the written terms of the covenant. You had different aspects to, to making covenant, about eight steps. Uh, you would exchange clothes, you would make, like David and Jonathan, that incision on your hand, you'd mix blood, etc., etc. You plant a covenant memorial tree, you have a memorial meal, like you have at a wedding, sort of a. a uh, a reception but you'd also have the written part of the covenant which is what at a wedding when, when, when the vows that are made um, to one another and, and, and so he says you know those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they have made before me I will treat like the calf they cut in two when they walk between the pieces and and, and what we see here is that you made a covenant you took a calf cut it in half put the two bloody pieces there and then you walked between them and you pointed at them and you said, May the Lord do this to me and worse if I break the terms of a covenant. Now what what happened in, in all our covenants with God is we unfortunately as human fragile, paper, fragile like paper, jars of clay, weakness. We break the covenant, inevitably. And that's why in Genesis fifteen, when God made the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant on which the, old, the new covenant is based. Abraham was asleep when the covenant was cut. And it says a burning torch and a smoking oven representing God the Son and God the Father moved through the pieces. And as it were, Jesus, who then already was intended to become human and to come and represent us as humanity, he basically walked through the pieces And instead of us walking through the pieces, Abraham walking through the pieces and saying, may the Lord do this to me and worse if I break the terms of the covenant. Jesus walked through the pieces, pointed at them and said, may the Lord do this to me and worse if they break the terms of the covenant. And we, of course, did break the terms of the covenant. And the Lord did do that to him. And that's why I was crucified. And so we see that the, the new covenant, both in terms of who makes it, who pays for it, and how it is, how the terms are written, not on, externally on paper or on tablets of stone, but internally on the tablets of our heart. Everything is God-centered. Everything is done by God. And therefore, our confidence must be in God. So, I think I, I, I need to, to end off with this. Um, in conclusion, are your values God-centered or man-centered? Do you trust in yourself? Or do you trust in God? Do, are you impressed by human appearance? Outward, successful, impressive human appearance? Or are you impressed? Can you just bring up that last slide, dear you, are Are you impressed with the internal change of heart that only God can bring? In other words, do you believe the gospel of the victory of man? Or do you believe the gospel of the victory of God? Do you believe the gospel of keeping up appearances on the outside? Or do you believe the gospel of changed hearts on the inside? What kind of letter are we? What kind of a community are we? I want to just encourage you to just take a moment and just pray and say, God, I turn away from being impressed by man. I repent of being impressed by man. I I, I repent of trying to keep up appearances. And I put my trust in you. I turn away from what I can do only in my own strength. And I put my trust, my confidence in you and what you can do in me and through me in the lives of the people around me. I just want to actually give a minute. Just close your eyes right there where you are. Just close your eyes and just pray that in your own words. Yes, Father God, we just come to you today in Jesus' name. and Lord, we just repent of putting confidence in man apart from You, Lord. Being impressed by outward appearance of people. Lord, we just turn away from putting confidence in ourselves and what we can do apart from You. But we put our confidence in what You can do in us and through us. Thank you Holy Spirit that you are with us, that you are in us. Thank you that right now you're there with every single person. Thank you Lord that just like Paul prayed at the end of this letter of 2 Corinthians Lord that that I can just bless your people and pray over them May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the continuing fellowship and presence of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us in Jesus name and thank you Lord that that is true of us thank you Holy Spirit that that you are with us that and that you're not only with us now as we gather together as your church Lord to to worship you corporately and to to receive your word corporately but that you are with us as we go out as the church Thank you that we are the church when we gather, but we are also the church when we scatter, Lord. And I just want to pray, Lord, for, for every one of us, that as we scatter, Lord, as we go as the church into the world, that we'll go as salt and light, that we'll go out as part of the, the letter of Christ, written to this world, in which, Jesus, you communicate to this world that you love it, and that you are able to take weak and fragile human lives, And turn them into something powerful and beautiful. A letter written by you to this world. Thank you that we are such a letter. And I pray Lord that Holy Spirit you'll lead us out into this week as letters of Christ in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The Lord bless you. Go in the Lord's peace. Go in the Lord's blessing. And don't be afraid to show your weakness. Show that you are fragile because God's strength shines through in your weakness. You are a letter written by Christ, by the Spirit. Allow people to read your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.